Welcome to episode 920 of The Sleeper in the Bus. I am Justin Mason, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? I am doing well, but not as well as you. Happy uh, 16 years sober, dude. Thanks, man. It's, uh, you know, it's. I don't even really think about it that often until the date comes around, but uh, it is today, 16 years ago. 16 years ago today started my journey in sobriety and uh uh it's been it's been pretty good to me you, you're doing pretty well yourself right yeah i'm wearing the let's see the best shape of my life shirt from rotoware i had to go in and buy my 69th uh t-shirt from rotoware uh because uh i've been uh trying to reduce my mass uh and i hit 30 pounds dropped in 2021 uh so Making the progress. So I today I'm wearing the shirt, and you guys can see on video, but everybody else can't. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, I'm I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, hopefully, 16 years from now, I, I'm still <laughs> in the best shape of my life, and I haven't thrown it all away. So, well, and hopefully uh, you're able to stay healthier now. You can stay on the field. Uh, people drafted you late in their in their uh, fantasy analyst drafts, and, and they're getting good production. That's right. <laughs> Joining us today is Aaron Pags from Fantasy Pros. Aaron, welcome to the show. Justin and Jason, congratulations to both of you on the weight loss and the sobriety. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course. Uh, remind everybody where you can be reached on social media and then talk about what you do in the industry. Sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter always at Fantasy Triage, more than my wife would um, believe that I was on Twitter. Um, you know, with the new baby in house, um, able to sneak away. Uh, at occasion, on occasion. So you can find me there, at Fantasy Triage on Twitter. Uh, you can find uh, Nate and I's podcast, uh, anywhere podcasts are played. That's Bullpen Games, um, where we are insane and just focus on fantasy baseball and relief pitching. Don't, um, don't ask how we got there, but we're there. And uh, we're, we are digging into bullpens constantly, so um, you find me there. And then uh, for any of the fantasy football players, um, I'm over writing articles as a featured writer over at Fantasy Pros. Why bullpens? I think that, I mean, most people like are like, I don't want to write about bullpens. Why do you write <laughs> so much about it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you and Jason and Paul and all you guys, you took all the good. It's like, you know, when you draw that last straw, the final straw, um, uh, the, the last pick in, in kickball, we're the last pick in kickball. So you guys have got everything else covered and everybody is kind of like uh, just kind of shoes bullpens away. So we decided that um, someone had to do it. So Nate and I would be the ones to, to take that on. And actually, since November, I mean, I know you guys know because you, you do follow bullpens regardless of whether you want to talk to them, talk about them or not. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's part of our game and uh, one of the parts that is most frustrating and that no one wants to do. And so here we are doing it. Oh, definitely, uh, <laughs> definitely uh, go and follow Aaron's work there, uh, especially for the great bullpen coverage uh, that he and Nate does. Uh, it's uh it's it's a service that I'm glad you guys handle that I don't have to handle quite. Anybody else have people screaming at him last night when Andrew Kittredge got the save instead of Luis Castillo? Uh, instead of Diego Castillo? Diego, yeah, that guy. Uh, so yeah, uh, but like uh, one of my buddies was like, "Hey, Braves can come back. I just need a save out of Castillo this week to get back up." And then I was like, "I'm afraid I have some bad news. Uh, it is not going to be Castillo in the night." He's like, "What?" This sucks. <laughs> and here we are. So yeah, third pitcher already this month to have a save for Tampa Bay. Hey, that's that's not that bad considering they had what twelve guys who got saves in a sixty game season last year. 
and 10 the season before in a full season. So yeah. we're, we're getting there. Let's go for that three-peat, baby. <laughs> Give me sure. Ryan Thompson today. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, this is why I stayed out of that bullpen. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk some news and notes and then some really interesting stat lines so far this year. We're going to get Aaron out of his comfort zone away from bullpens and talk about other things. Because uh, not really a ton of bullpen news necessarily to cover today. So uh, let's start with some Ray's Corner. Because it's Jason's episode. So, uh, Luis Patino to make his Rays debut. How excited are you uh, there, Jason? I'm pissed. Who has two thumbs up and cut Patino last week in the league because I needed a roster spot? This guy. So, uh, yeah. So, I'm going to have to like pay to get him back when I drafted him in the reserves. Mm. Uh, but he's only opening today. He's not stick. He's not uh, doing much. He's going to pitch a Josh Fleming. Fleming is going to be the bulk guy. Patino is going to be the opener. So two innings, uh, and hopefully he sticks around. I mean, Rich Hill's spot. Rich Hill could use an opener. Uh, Rich Hill could use uh, less exposure to offenses. Uh, Rich Hill should really be a one-time through the order guy. Uh, uh, let's be honest. But so I, I'm hoping Patino sticks around. I don't. I don't know. I cut him last week because I didn't think he was coming up this week. Uh, so that's how it happens. But we'll see how he goes today. I mean, we know what the stuff is like. Uh, if he can command it, uh, yeah, that'll be great. But he's basically this is like extended spring training. He's basically going to be asked to come out and throw one to two innings, depending on how efficient he is, uh, and and. Uh, and hand the ball off to Josh Fleming, who's been very good uh, when he's pitched, just you know, uh, painting the corners and avoiding the heart of the strike zone uh, with him. So I'm excited to see him pitch today. But for fantasy purposes, you're not going to get much value out of him in the short term because it appears that he is going to work in limited capacity. And I honestly don't see that changing uh, anytime here soon because they want to protect that arm. And he didn't get a lot of work last year. Uh, and so I don't see them saying, okay, here's a rotation spot, have it. Aaron, are you in agreement that he's just probably not going to be as fantasy relevant as maybe his prospect pedigree uh, would suggest for 2021? Obviously, long-term, we love him. Yeah, long-term, you have to love the the three-pitch mix. And if he can ever command it, like Jason said, you know he's going to be an, a top-of-the-line rotation guy. But um, I think the Rays, they don't really care about your 2021 fantasy team. We know that. We'll probably talk about this a bunch of times on this episode. But they really, you know, they're not they're not interested in how many innings pitched are for a quality start for your fantasy team this week. They're interested in getting as many outs as they possibly can out of their entire staff. That's just how the Rays are built. And so, um, you know, at this point, I think you have to temper your expectations if you're going to add Patino for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in lockstep with you guys, so uh, we'll uh, we'll kind of move on and talk about the next uh, item, which is Alex Kirloff has been recalled, uh, which is uh, great. It looks like he's up and probably up for good at this point. Aaron, what are your thoughts on Kirloff uh, hitting, it looks like, fifth in this Minnesota lineup? Yeah, I actually, I, I want to pick your guys' brain on Kirloff because, you know, I... I'd stayed away from Kirilov myself because I was worried about him being just a bad, a total batting average drain. Even if he did get the call up right after the uh, right after the service time time frame, um, and you know with the Sano injury, he's definitely going to be in the lineup, first base, left field. You know, I think the Twins will just leave him out there to get at bats. Should we be concerned that he's going to get a ton of at bats now, and he could end up? 
being like a 190 to 220 hitter for a full full complement of at bats and plate appearances. I don't know. That that's what scares me about Kirilov. Uh, obviously, the talent and the upside are completely there, but that kind of batting average drain is scary. I think the batting average is going to be okay. I mean, this is a guy with a pretty uh, good hit tool. There's power. I just think that it may not. It, it may not translate into the kind of numbers that uh, people expect from like a top five to ten prospect, especially early on. But I, th- I do think at some point he's going to be uh, a pretty good uh, fantasy player, just maybe not the kind of fantasy greatness that you would expect from a guy that's been considered a top five ten prospect, uh, you know, for for a few years now. And so I've been kind of lower on Kirilov in the industry, but if he's available, I think you swoop him up, especially in, in your deeper mix leagues, because uh, you're not going to find this kind of talent coming off the waiver wire this often in your deeper mix leagues. And you know, maybe he starts off hot and, and, and is uh, kind of a league winner type guy. Or if he doesn't, you know, you probably move on in redrafts if he struggles out of the gate. Uh, Jason, what are your thoughts on Kirilov? You know, his minor league track record doesn't show a lot of, of contact issues. So, like, batting average, I'm not as concerned. And the, the other part of it, the league-wide batting average is 235. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, if you hit 220, not as bad as it used to be. Uh, but still, it's not great. But it's not as bad as it, as, as it once was. But the other uh, – and, and to put a pin in this, though, it's like we can't always just say, hey, this guy did it in the minor leagues, and so that's going to translate to the major leagues – because I, I want to come back to that statement when we talk about Jazz Chisholm later, uh, because there's some there's something to, to notice there as well. Uh, so I'm not as concerned here with that. I, I still going into the season, I, I didn't end up with Kirloff anywhere because everybody wanted Kirloff and they thought he was going to get it. So I ended up with Trevor Larnock. Uh, on a couple of rosters, so I'm hoping that comes to play eventually. So if, if Kirloff does stink, Larnock's next next man up. Uh, so we'll, you know, I guess win win for me uh, either way. But I I don't have him anymore. I'm waiting for Jared Kellenick. That's the guy I ended up getting in a couple of places. So yeah. Uh, Ryan Yarbrough now is working with an opener again, which I think can have some really interesting effects. Uh, obviously for fantasy. Uh, when he did work with an opener in the past, like what he had 16 wins one season. Jason, how excited are you that Ryan Yarbrough has got an opener? I'm not as excited as Curtis Jones. My buddy lives in Charlotte. We talk about this. We got vaccinated together, right? And we were talking about this over lunch. So I know he's listening. So Curtis, this is for you, man. Yeah, here's what Ryan Yarbrough's numbers are as a traditional starter. He's three and eleven with a four forty-seven ERA and a one twelve whip. So the whip carries up. Uh, and he had a seven. He has a seven point one K nine. That's what he is as a traditional starter. But then, if you move him over and say, okay, work in anything but a starter, he's ten and one with a three oh nine ERA, a, a ninety six WHIP, and a seven point seven K nine. So it makes a difference when he has somebody in front of him. Uh, and starting the season, they they were basically using him as a number two starter. And I think they said, hey, let's go back and try it. Uh, and so like the last two times out, uh, it they tried it and it's it's working again. But the numbers show that he's a he's a different pitcher for your fantasy roster when he has somebody else absorbing the first inning. <clears throat> and even if you look at the first inning, I tweeted out some stats earlier, like his first inning ERA is 649. 
and his whip is 137. But the openers are half that. The openers are like 309 and, and 103 on their numbers. So the openers are doing their job. And when they do their job, he comes in and picks up where they left off. If he works as a traditional starter, he, he's tough to roster in fantasy because he's not getting you the wins and his ERA is killing you and the strikeouts are average. So you're getting average whip, average strikeout, and that's it. He's a two-category pitcher. If he can pitch as a bulk guy, he becomes almost a four-category pitcher. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a fantastic opportunity to buy on Ryan Yarbrough, who's been dropped in a lot of leagues. Uh, and if they are going to let him roll with an opener, uh, I think it'd be a huge boon for his value, as you said. Aaron, what are your thoughts on Ryan Yarbrough now with an opener in, in Tampa Bay? Yeah, <clears throat> I mentioned earlier that the Rays really don't, they don't care about your fantasy. They don't care if you have that little carrot next to Ryan Yarbrough's name and on your in your Yahoo lineups or when, you know, or things like that. They've got a lot of these kind of bulk, just bulk pitchers in the rotation. If your name's not Tyler Glass now, you're not, you know, the Rays don't, aren't, they're going to use you where they see you fit best. And Yarborough fits best coming out behind someone else. Um, you know, Fleming, Hill, Waka, these are a lot of guys who, you know, aren't going to get through the through the lineup three times. And so, you know, I could see the Rays using, you know, I mean, Jason, you know better than most. I, you could see the Rays going out there and using an opener even more this year than they ever have in the past. Uh, maybe. It, uh, they've had some injuries in the bullpen. That's really what's hurt them. I mean, you know Anderson and Cody Reed, uh, Pete Fairbanks. Like so they've and uh, you know Castillo was on the COVID IL because of uh, reaction to the vaccine. You know, but they've had trouble keeping guys in the bullpen, and I think that's part of the reason why we haven't seen more of it. But if you're going to end up going to the bullpen anyways, why not have one of the guys come out? I mean, Kittress has done a good job when he's been an opener. He's opened a game and saved a game this week, and that's like throwing back to 2019. And it, it's, you know, as a fan, it's fun uh, yeah, for, for, the, for them to be able to do that. Yesterday's uh, opener didn't go great, but that's because Yandy Diaz dropped what should have been a catchable uh, pop-up for uh, that third out of the inning. And like two pitches later, Gritchick hit it into the stands. So it, it could have worked, but you look at the box scores, like, hey, it didn't work. But no, it really should have. Diaz really should have made a rather routine catch. All right, let's uh, let's move on and talk about uh, Jared Klenick, who is expected to be up soon. Jerry Depoto said uh, recently that he, he's going to be up in the not-too-distant future, but that doesn't necessarily mean right now. He's still available in about 23% of CBS leagues, which seems insane to me, but check your leagues, and some some people are in the kind of spots where, you know, and I'm in the spot in a few leagues like this where my team is decimated with injuries, and so you may have seen uh, Klenick drop. Uh, Aaron, what are your thoughts on Kalenic, uh coming soon to Seattle? You mentioned CBS rostership in Yahoo. He's 58% rostered in ESPN. ESPN, 47% rostered. I mean, that's that's crazy. I wish I was in those leagues because he's rostered in every one of my leagues. I can't I can't get uh, Kalenic. But um, what are my expectations for him? You know, he's going to come up. He's going to hit. He's a legit. I mean, this is this is a can't. This is one of these can't miss type prospects. So. Uh, I don't think he's going to come and hit 30 homers or steal 30 bags in his first season, but 15 and 10, I think, is reasonable. And, you know, with a decent batting average and every day at bats, especially if you drafted him in your top 200, you must be like, you know, salivating to get him in your lineup because you you spent some draft capital on him. And the, these players only come, I'm a poor Mets fan. Uh, these players only come around every once in a while. And so um, I, I'll be excited to watch him. I'm glad he's 
playing, you know, all the way on the other side of the country in the in the great Northwest, and we won't have to see him until the the World Series or something, God willing. Um, but uh, you know, I, I would love to get uh, Kalenic in in any league that he's available, and so that that he'd be a big big fab buy for me right now before they make the move. Yeah, I mean, I drafted him, I think, in seven leagues. Uh, and so I, I'm, I've been holding this as hard as I can to not have to make a roster move, especially in some of those leagues I'm decimated by injuries. Uh, but I agree with you. I think he is, I think he's potentially a 2020 guy rest yeah. of the way if he was able to get a call up here in the next week or so. Uh, and I really, you know, unlike Kirilov, who I don't think necessarily has the, the fantasy ceiling we're necessarily looking for out of the gate, I do think Kalenic is a guy that could be a league winner. Uh, for leagues. So if you're in a shallower format or even in a deeper format, just check your waiver wire just in case, you know, someone has decided, oh, you know, I, I, I'm hurting too much losing Springer or in Rendon or, or a bunch of guys like that uh, and, and had to make a move. So, uh, Jason, what are your thoughts on Kalenic? Uh, hopefully up pretty soon here in Seattle. Yeah, so I've been sitting on him in my Rotowire OC. Yeah, I didn't get him in TGFBI, but I've been sitting on him in in the OC and refusing to cut that spot. Thankfully, I've only had to deal with one other injury in that, and that was Alicia Hernandez. So I haven't been in, uh, you know, your boat. You and uh, Paul were talking the other day on the episode about how decimated your injuries uh, have hit your squads. It's hit my NL. I have five five drafted starters on the IL in my home NL league. And that's like, and we can't expand our bench. <clears throat> so I'm really hurting there. Uh, but I, it's like these aren't guys I can just drop either because they're not serious. They're, they're on the IL, but it's not like they're going to be out for months. My guess is Taylor Trammell is going to be the victim here of the playing time. I don't really see any other way to shake it out. I mean, my boy Dylan Moore is not hitting anything, but Dylan Moore also plays second base unless they're going to say, okay, Ty France, go try to play second base. And go there. So I don't. I would say Tramel's going to be the victim of the playing time here. I don't know if there's any other way to make this work. Um, if they're going to call him up, because um, you're not going to do it with Hanniger. You're not going to do it with. Uh, I don't see them doing it with Kyle Lewis either. So uh, you, either of you guys differ on where the playing time is going to be? Because once he's up, he's up. Yeah, I mean, my guess is it's going to come at the cost of Tramel. That'd be my my guess, and and maybe it's a matter of, you know, they got guys like Tramel. And Kyle Lewis that they need days off here. And so maybe it's a matter of, you know, Kalenic is the guy that kind of spells everybody, um, you know, and finds his way to five games a week, uh, starting out just because he's he's kind of given other guys days off. Uh, but th- I mean, once he's up, there's no reason to think he's he's not playing every day. Right. I mean, he's exactly like, I mean, you, you don't bring up you, you, you don't Andrew Vaughn him and bring him up and not play him. So. Uh, Mike Trout dealing with a sore elbow uh, after being uh, hit by a pitch, uh, in spite of the fact that I thank God he had that guard on that elbow um, because I think it probably would have been you know broken had it not uh, hit the guard. But uh, he's been out a few days. Obviously, this there's nothing actionable here with this. But can we talk just a minute about like the amount of injuries to top tier players we've had to deal with this season? Yeah especially from the hitting side, uh, how frustrating has it been for you, Aaron? 
Yeah, uh, you know, Ronald Acuna, one of the latest, too. You know, you just don't know when he's going to get back in the lineup. He's, he's and... in the lineup today. Oh, he's in the lineup today. today. Amazing. Yeah. Thank goodness. Um, yeah, so, you know, uh, like you said, injuries left and right. I think, though, Trout is uh, is definitely going to be um, finding a way back into the lineup because he apps. They're playing Texas at the start of, of the week, and he destroys Texas Rangers pitching. He's played them 162 games in his career, 40 homers, 111 RBIs. 132 runs scored, 327, 450, 623 slash against the Rangers pitching in his career. So um, it's, Trout will show how healthy he is and uh, against that Rangers pitching for sure. Uh, on the injury front, you know, it, it is. It's It started before the season even started. You know, if you put, if you invested in Eloy Jimenez and, you know, these top, top tier guys are just feel like they're, you know, Fernando Tatis had his little moment there with the shoulder that keeps falling in and out of place. So, uh, it is frustrating. Um, baseball doesn't do a great job showcasing their superstars as it is, and when they're not on the field, that that doesn't help either. Jason, what what are you? How are you handling all these injuries early on? It's so damn tough. I mentioned in my NL league, I have Gene Segura, Jock Peterson, Harrison Bader, Tim LaCastro, and Kettle Marte all out. Mm-hmm. Normally, I deal with it in pitching, but all five of those guys were active drafts from active draft players. Uh, and so, you know, thankfully, like I had uh, I had picked up Jason Vossler in reserves. Giants just called him up. So I at least have an active roster. But I'm carrying the likes of Andrew Stevenson, Jonathan Daza, uh, and my Daniel Robertson, uh, who's better pitcher than he is hitter. You know, I have those guys in my lineup right now because that's that's the that's the reality of an 11 team NL only league that has uh, a bench is that's what's left. I really don't have any other options. So. I need some of these dudes to come back and pitching wise, because I had spent a lot of my reserve picks on pitchers. Like I have four reserve pitchers in this league and I am out. I have no other healthy bats. I have two guys on the reserves that are both hurt because I threw in my, my, uh, my healthy reserves. So I have no healthy replacements. I'm out of them. I don't have anything left. <laughs> my cupboard is bare and it's, it's really, it's really tough. But on the pitcher side where I was uh, fearful of this happening, so far, you know, I've, I haven't avoided pitching injuries, but they haven't been the volume that I expected, um, at least on my rosters. Yeah, I mean, this has been super frustrating because I think we we all expected more injuries going from a 60-game season to a 162-game season. But like you said, we kind of expected it on the pitching side, not on the hitting side. Mm-hmm. Positional flexibility. Like, I mean, I have made some moves in fab so far this season where I've dropped maybe a little bit better player for worse player with extra positional eligibility. Cause I mean, I'm in a situation right now in a league where, uh, I, I, my two third basements that I drafted were Rendon and Cabranian Hayes. Uh, and so then I had to pick up Evan Longoria. So I've been taking zeros for the last few days cause he mm-hmm. got hurt. And, um, you know, just having these guys with the extra flexibility is just so key. And so hopefully people prioritize that in drafts. But, you know, go and check out your waiver wire, especially if you're in deeper leagues, for guys like Josh Harrison, for guys like Eric Gonzalez that have this multi-position eligibility that can help you get a little bit of a uh, help if you're dealing with a bunch of injuries like we are. I have a bid in for Eric Sogard. That's how yep. desperate I am. I've been starting Eric Sogard <laughs> all season long in my first draft champions from from October because my uh, my shortstops were Eric Sogard, C.J. Abrams, and uh, Mondesi. Wow, so it's it's been brutal. Um, yeah. So all right, let's uh, let's move on. Um, Zach McKinstry hits the IL. Uh, this is unfortunate because he was uh, he was hitting really really well 
they're going to call up DJ Peters. Um, are you dropping McKinstry and do you have any interest in Peters there, Jason? Um, I don't know if I have any interest in Peters. I wanted to see where Sheldon nice, uh, where he was going to, if he could possibly pick up some more playing time um, out of this, because they have him up on the active roster and I liked him coming into the season. Uh, so that's where I'm kind of hedging to see where things go. Uh, I have him on two of my deeper leagues. Uh, and so he's in my lineup next week, kind of, <laughs> kind of covering injury. He's one of the guys that we had to use, but uh, that's where I want to see where things go. But I don't uh, honestly don't have much on Peters. I know what his uh, abilities are, but uh, I don't know. Uh, Aaron, any thoughts on Peters and are you dropping McKinstry? I mean, if, if someone's dropping McKinstry, I'm probably in, more interested in, in going and, and scraping him up off the off the floor because he's like L.A.'s new Kike Hernandez, right? Like mm-hmm. multi-position. You talked about multi-position eligibilities, infield, outfield. He's all over the place. 14 RBIs in the 17 games played. I, I am always a little scared off by obliques because sometimes those things can just linger on throughout the entire season. But he's not destined to have, you know, an everyday role, but, you know, a four game a week role in that Los Angeles lineup for sure. I'll be I'll be putting him on my watch list or maybe if I can scrape him up and stash him on my IL if someone drops him. Peters, meh. I mean, pretty good year last year or in 2019 in the PCL with 23 homers and 80 RBIs. So maybe a little power, decent pedigree in the fourth round. But uh, I don't really have any interest in, in picking him up in the short term. Uh, I'll give a little shout out to DGA Peters. He's a guy I've liked for a really long time, especially in on-base percentage formats. Um, I mean, double-digit walk rates through the majority of the minors uh, for him and a ton of power. So think like... Miguel Sano, light, Joey Gallo, light, a guy that is probably not going to have a very good average. We're talking like 230, 240, um, but does walk, uh, you know, at a pretty good clip um, and has a ton of power when he does connect. So uh, I, I like him in, in like ear NL only, deeper formats, things like that, uh, especially, like I said, if you're playing on base percentage leagues. But who knows what the playing time situation. The reason he hasn't been up yet is because they're just so loaded, especially in the outfield, that it may be hard for him to even find playing time even now that he's up. All right, let's uh, let's move into uh, our topic of the day, and that is stat line says what. I went through and grabbed some interesting stat lines, mostly positive. We'll finish out on a negative stat line. Uh, but let's start with Kyle Gibson, uh, who is put up a 1.5 ERA to start the year, everybody knows I'm the Kyle Gibson guy, and somehow I did not get him on enough teams this year. Uh, he is still available in a ton of leagues. Uh, we'll start with you, Aaron. Are you buying this at all? Yeah, actually, I am. Uh, and and that includes his opening day performance, which wasn't That's right. <laughs> and so since opening day, he's 2-0 and with a 0.43 ERA and a 0.81 whip. And a 187 batting average against 17 strikeouts in 21 innings. Um, he's he's introduced the cutter to help against the left-handed batters. You know, usually the sinker slider guy, but he introduced the cutter. He's always actually done a pretty good job of limiting the hard hit, you know, barrel rates. He's at a 5.8 percent barrel rate against in his career. So if he's able to mix in a fourth pitch against you know against lineups and help him get through the lineup a few more times. I am buying it. I think, you know, I, I went and snatched him up after his first good start of the year. I think I was against Baltimore, maybe, um, and uh, added him everywhere I could. And so I think, you know, he has temporary expectations. He's not a top, you know, a number one, number one, but uh, he can he can help you in fantasy for sure. He's a number one in my heart. 
that, that's <laughs> that's where it matters. Jason, what are your thoughts on Gibson? Yeah, the uh, and I'm glad Aaron brought up the opening day start because I think people forgot just how bad that was. That was that game that was five five after the first inning, uh, and he just got blitzed in that game. But even if even though he got blitzed in that, he still isn't allowed a home run this this year. That's the that's the crazy part for me is no home runs allowed this year for him. And when you look at you know when you look at what he's doing, yeah, he's introduced the he's introduced the cutter and it's helped him against righties and he's throwing it as his third uh, most frequent pitch. I mean, it's for one thing, it's a guy to say, hey, I'm going to throw a new pitch, but he's really throwing it and he's got 50 percent swing and miss rate on both the slider and the cutter, which is. I mean, the cutter's not supposed to do that, but he's getting it because of the way the uh, the way the pitch is playing out for him. So it, it's working, uh, and that and, you know he closed his landscaping business, and so now he can really focus on pitching, and that's been a that's been a huge difference. I know Paul's grass. Uh, I know the grass at Paul and Jen's place is just disastrously high because Gibson's no longer cutting the grass there for him. But it is. Uh, I mean. He, it's real, man. I'm sorry that you uh, that you bailed on your guy coming into the season. Oh, no, no. I, like... <laughs> I still have him. I just don't have him in nearly enough leagues. <laughs> 44, it's, I mean, it's 44 cutters, it's, Jason. Yeah, 44, yeah. 40, 44 cutters so far this year, one hit. It's so, working, man. Working well. I mean, and uh, and even the X stats are like, it's it's saying that this is, this is real so far. We'll see how it moves forward. But so far, this is outside whatever Kansas City. I don't know if it was cold or whatever. I mean, he obviously... Just got blitzed in that one, but he has gone six, seven, eight, six, four quality starts in a row. Uh, you know, can't argue with these results. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to find a guy that's going to go this deep into games, uh, you know, easily on the waiver wire to begin with. Uh, and then you add in the fact that he's pitching really well. The ground ball rate is up back over 50%. Contact rates, especially in the zone, are down. Uh, you know, the contact he is giving up is, isn't is a hard contact. I'm really liking what I'm seeing from my boy. Uh, again, still available in a crap ton of leagues, especially for those of you playing 12 and 15 teamers. Uh, people don't seem to want to buy into this. I understand why, considering he's had, what, two straight seasons of about a 5 ERA. Uh, so, But I'm tending to want to believe that he can pull off like a mid-threes ERA and go deep enough into games and volume his way uh, to some decent strikeout uh, numbers at the end of the season. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I was never off board, my boy, uh, Kyle, but I definitely should have been more on board coming into the year. Uh, a guy that I should have been more on board with as well is Jazz Hizzle. Four home runs, four stolen bases, hitting 315, 415, 522. I think we all knew he had power, he had speed. The questions were going to be like, what were going to be the strikeout numbers, right? How much contact was he going to make? Uh, Jason, what are your thoughts on the hot start on Jazz Chisel? Yeah, and I wanted to circle back as we talked about this with Kalanick. As you said, with uh, with Chisholm, there were a lot of there was a lot of swing and miss in his game in the minor leagues. Lots of strikeouts, thirty plus percent strikeout rate. We knew what he was capable of, but then you see, was he able going to was he ever able going to be to put it together with that kind of swing and miss in his game? Then you look at this year. And he's making contact. Now, I don't know if it's a matter of he's not even getting deep into counts, so he's not allowing that to get to a, a two-strike where he has to try to protect the zone and he gets at the, at the mercy of the pitcher. But he has a, a 13% swing and, uh, swing and miss rate this year. The league average is 13%. To put that in perspective, Javier Baez is at 28%. <laughs> Franchi Cordero is at 22%. 
Keston Hura and Willie Adamas and Akil Badu are at 21%. And then here's Chisholm, a guy that had strikeout problems all throughout the minor leagues at a 13% strikeout rate. He's got, he's making the contact. Now, I don't know if it's just the league doesn't know how to pitch to him yet, and he's just being super aggressive and not getting deep in the counts where he's going to be prone to the strikeout. So we'll have to see where that adjusts. But for a guy who the major question mark was, can he make enough contact, is making enough contact right now. And, you know, you got to, to me, it's you ride the heater. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think you just gotta, you know, continue right. I mean, I've I've always thought he, you know, was uh, going to be a really good prospect. I did think that there was going to be like a 30 percent strikeout issue uh, that would obviously hurt his average. Uh, it's it's been really fun to watch, and he has been super aggressive early in counts. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen a few of his home runs that come against my Giants, um, and uh, it it's it's nice to see him get aggressive early in the count because he isn't waiting for guys to, to ring him up. So Aaron, what are your thoughts on jazz chisel? Don't let me be the wet blanket on your jazz <laughs> love. I do. I do think he's a phenomenal talent, exciting to watch. Great for baseball. All those things. I think he's going to have a really good career. Um, he is playing and you've mentioned it. He's playing above his head right now. 382 BABIP with a almost 30% line drive rate and a 30% home run to fly ball. So we might have to just scale it back a little bit. He's not a 315 hitter. Uh, if he if he ends up hitting you know 260, that's great. Take take the 260, put it in your back pocket, and run with it. Jason, you mentioned that the league average is like 230, 220, wherever it's at. You know he's going to be above league average and in the batting average category. I think, you know he's run into a bunch of home runs. He hit a 101 mile an hour fastball off of Jacob Degrom, turned it around for a homer. So you know maybe the home runs aren't going to you know maybe he's not a 25 home run hitter maybe he's just a 16 to 20 guy you know but he's his speed is real and we're always searching for speed so he's going to be in the lineup he's going to be at the top of the Marlins lineup and exciting player to watch so uh, I don't want to be a total wet blanket but 382 BABIP is not not sustainable neither is a 30 percent home run to fly ball rate so that's all all right well uh let, let's see if you're wet blanket on Ryan McMahon. Ryan McMahon already has seven home runs. This is a guy that I kind of uh, talked about in preseason having made a swing adjustment, but he looks so awful in spring that I like was like, oh, man, I guess the swing adjustment's not working. Well, apparently it's working now because he is just crushing the ball. Uh, you always love a guy who's got multi-positional eligible, hits and cores, hitting with a ton of power right now. Aaron, are you, you going to throw some cold water on this one? No. How, doesn't it feel like Ryan McMahon's been playing forever? Mm-hmm. It, it does, right? He's got he just hit a one thousandth plate appearance this season in the big leagues. Twenty six years old, second round draft pedigree. So you know we know it's there. Not all stars shine immediately. Like not everyone's going to be Juan Soto when they come to the majors, right? Especially in Colorado, they mess. We all know we all hate the Rockies for how they mess around with these prospects, play them at multiple positions, bat them in everywhere in the lineup that they possibly can. But McMahon has showed steady progress barreling the ball for sure in his career, 6% to 9% to 11% last year. And now he's holding steady at that 11% barrel rate and just absolutely crushing the ball. So sometimes when you're 26, you have this big power breakout anyway. And I think McMahon is just, you know, been a little held back by the Rockies. Only, like I said, only getting a thousand plate appearances so far in, the, in his first four seasons. And uh, sky's the limit. I mean, this guy, he could hit 40 for sure. Jason, what are your thoughts on McMahon? 
I mean, this year he's got a big, he's, as you mentioned, chain swing. So he's got a big fly ball tilt to what he's doing. Uh, you look at his career home on uh, his career ground ball to fly ball rate, and it's it, the fly ball rate's the best it's ever been uh, in his career. And even the home run to fly ball rate is right in norms with his recent. So it's not like, oh, this home run fly ball. Once you see a guy doing this out of the gate, the first thing you do is you go look at home run to fly ball. It's like, oh, this is ridiculous. No, it's right in line with what he's doing. He's just hitting more fly balls. Uh, the other, but the problem is, They've already had, they've played 20 games, 14 have been at course. So 17% of their home schedule is gone. Oh. Uh, and so that's that's the other thing you got to factor in is they've got a lot more road games than they have home games coming forward. So 14, he's at five of a seven uh, at course. So it's not like a seven for seven thing, but I'm surprised at how many home games Colorado has already had this oh. year. That's a lot out of the gate. And so you're going to get to summertime with them having more games in the other parks so I'm not as optimistic on McMahon uh, as others might be. Uh, so yeah, when, I, when I try to look at it, it's like, I don't know if he even finished his year with 30. He's gotten mm. off to a much better start than I ever thought he would get off to. Uh, and the, the, the fly ball tilt is real. That's happening. Uh, but how is this going to play out as we start having more games on the road? Yeah, no, I mean, the road is definitely a consideration, especially for these you know, Rockies guys. Uh, with you know, because pitches obviously move differently in Colorado than they move on the road. But man, he has just been so impressive. I, I do tend to want to buy in. It, his own contact percentage is up almost ten percent right now. He's just making a ton of contact in the zone uh, and doing a good job of not swinging outside of it. Uh, an egregious amount. I mean, he still does swing outside of it over thirty percent of the time. Uh, but he's not like riding like a super high BABIP. He's just not striking out. He's making good contact. I tend to believe this. I think he will hit 30 home runs, Jason. Uh, and I, I think he's going to be a huge boon for for those who invested in him fairly late in drafts. Because, I mean, he never really got a price hike in spite of the fact that he was, like, I think triple eligible in hidden cool. Yeah, he was that dude that was just sitting out there. It's like him and, and uh, Sam Hilliard. Like, there was this group of Rocky guys that were just always sitting there in your queue. Yeah. You're like, oh, do I... Oh, no, I'm tired. I got burned by McMahon last year. I got burned by McMahon in 2019. It was like there was that, that Rockies hitters, like those those fringe guys on paper were like, oh, man, but they just kind of fell this year. Yeah. Uh, and then you take your chance like Hampson was was falling in a lot. And I mean, fair point. Their offense sucks this year out of the gate. I mean, they're terrible. Uh, but it is you know, there's a reason why these guys were falling. But even the guys that we expected to do, like Charlie Blackman, any day now, season began three weeks ago. Wake up, please. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, at least CJ Crone showing some signs of coming out of his uh, early slump uh, to the season. But the, the Rockies' offense is it's not good. Yeah, no, it's not. I need Blackman to wake up. He almost made this list for from a negative perspective, but I decided to go different directions. Um, speaking of a different direction, Mark Hanna. He's been leading off uh, three home runs, 20 runs scored. I mean, that's not super surprising. He's leading off for an offense that is is finally hitting after, uh, you know, starting off the season slow. But he's also got four stolen bases, which I, I did not think we would see coming from a guy like Mark Canna. Uh, Jason, what are your thoughts on Canha so far this year? I think I, the one thing, the memory I have of Kenha this spring was when we were doing TGFBI, Yancey's, Yancey's in my league, right? And I remember him saying, I, you know, I've got the four, he was picking 14th uh, in one round. He's like, I, I want Kenha. He's going to come. He's going to come to me. And I think he fell. He either went one or two picks right before him. And he was like, done. Like, I'm so mad. 
Uh, I remember him being visibly upset, but it's like he's Kenha has been really good this year. One of the things I noticed, he's leading the league in pitches seen this year. Uh, and he has a it has a seven percent swing and miss on the pitches he's seen. So you look at that, but this is what he's done. You look historically, he does have a high walk rate, um, and he's right there at the top. Austin Meadows is next. When I looked at it this morning, so he's seen a lot of pitches, uh, and when he is swinging, he is mostly making contact and is not coming up empty on these things. And he's going to play. Previously, there was a time when he just didn't play every day, um, rather because of platoon or he got hurt. Neither of those things so far are in play this year. And so he should be a guy that could compile. Like he may not, you know, 270 may be the cap on his average. But at the end of the year, he's going to be like maybe what Charlie Blackman, what you were hoping to get from Blackman. That could be what Kanha does this year. Yeah, I mean, he is only once stolen more than four bases in yeah. the majors. And that was back in his rookie season in or 2015. Uh, Aaron, what are your thoughts on Kanha? Are, are you uh, buying kind of this offensive explosion? Yeah, let me speak from personal experience. Your speed does not come around in your mid thirties. That's not. That's not when you find your fleet of footness. Um, he's got. You said you mentioned his stolen bases, twenty one in his career. So just hopefully you got these four already and cashed them in and put them in your back pocket because they're probably maybe only one, two, or three more left in him. Uh, Jason, you mentioned his walk rate. 15% steady over the last three seasons. So he's going to get on base. He's on base machine. He's bad. He's going to bat at the top of that Oakland Oakland lineup. Um, Runs scored are always this category that haunts me in fantasy baseball. Uh, it's so hard to find these guys because, you know, the guys who are batting at the top of the lineup are typically going earlier and earlier in drafts. So you can't you can't really collect all of those guys. So it's hard to get to the end of your drafts and find a guy who's going to be at the top of a potent lineup who's going to get on base and score runs. And then you just take kind of whatever else whatever else you get with that. And with Canada, you've already gotten four steals. You said his average isn't going to hurt you. So um, what a nice fantasy player for anyone who uh, invested in him late in their drafts, for sure. Yeah, shout out to Paul, who was all over Canha. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and I, I did not want to buy it. Um, but I, I'm regretting. Uh, I don't think I got him anywhere, to be quite honest. And uh, I, I'm regretting it. But he, he is leading off. Uh, one thing I will say about uh, Oakland is they're second in the majors so far in stolen bases, oh. um, tied with Kansas City. Now, when Kansas City gets Montessi back, that'll obviously, they'll obviously shift uh, down, and I don't anticipate they will continue to run at the rate they currently are. But uh, I think they're going to run a little bit more than they traditionally do. This is a you know organization that relies a lot on uh, kind of sabermetrics, and so you don't think of them as an organization that's going to push it necessarily on the base paths, but. Maybe they're seeing something with with the new ball, uh, with with you know the way teams are shifting that they're trying to take advantage of, uh, you know defensive alignments uh, by stealing bases. But uh, I I don't think he's going to steal double digit bases. I think like uh, Aaron just said, like thank you, thank God for for people who drafted. Uh, they've already banked those stolen bases. Uh, I think it's a nice little bonus. But I do think that he is a guy who could potentially lead the majors in run score and. Um, it is probably the most underappreciated stat, at least from the offensive side in fantasy. People are often talk about, and I think it's probably because runs weren't always on the back of baseball cards. And so people didn't grow up thinking about them. They, they looked at home runs, they looked at stolen bases, they looked at batting average, uh, they looked at RBIs, and, and runs kind of just gets left out. But it, it's a really important stat because there's, there's only so many leadoff hitters 
that can rack up uh, these and, and uh, getting guys like Canuck, getting guys like Cedric Mullins uh, that weren't expensive uh, leadoff hitters. Brandon Nimmo is another one uh, is going to be a huge boon to people's value. Uh, let's see, Nathan Evaldi, uh, starting off really, really well, 3.04 ERA so far. Uh, I mean, health has always been kind of the big issue with Evaldi. Aaron, do you have any, uh, concerns or, or belief that he can keep this up? Yeah, I mean, injuries aside, Evaldi is kind of one of these guys who changed up their repertoire a little bit. He went away from the cutter and uh, kind of went to the slider in the last two seasons. He was using the cutter 31% in 2020 and now he's only used it 13 percent this year uh fastball velocity still there like 97 percent here's one thing though that you have to take into consideration with Evaldi. and jason you mentioned this about a pitcher earlier he hasn't given up a home run yet and he's a guy who's given up a home run you know at least a home run per nine uh pretty much a home run per start i should say every year since 2018 so um that era kind of looks veiled in some luck here with the fly balls. And so I, I think you could see his ERA get up upwards of four pretty quickly. Once the ball, once those fly balls are going over the wall for sure. Jason, where are you out on Eovaldi? Okay. Just stay healthy. I mean, he, he, he is what he is. You know, he throws mm-hmm. hard. He's the same, but not, he's changed nothing. It's just a matter of, can he stay healthy? You know, it's, it's like, it's always been the question with him. You know, you guys were talking, uh, Thursday's episode, I believe, when you talked about the uh, the history of, of pitchers coming back from multiple TJ surgeries, uh, when you were talking about Lamette, and, and Ivaldi is probably the best case scenario about a guy that's been able to come back from two Tommy John surgeries. Uh, but again, we're talking about since he's come back, 111, 67, he missed a couple of starts last year, uh, and so far he's five for five. So it's like, for me, it's like once he gets to like twelve starts, everything else is gravy. Uh, <laughs> this would be this would be somebody if I had him. I'm absolutely trying to gauge interest on somebody whose pitching staff sucks. Be like, hey, what's going on? Because I it just yeah, it's impossible to count. I mean, he's pitching like a staff ace for you, or even a number two. But you just can't bank on him being there by the summertime. Everything. Everything from then out. Uh, now, watch. This will be the year he he comes out and makes thirty starts for the first time since two thousand fourteen. This will be the year. But uh, it just I I can't. You know you know something's coming with him. Uh, and if you if you got him out of the gate at a discount, yay for you. But I I'm not a long term believer. And, and when I'm talking long term, I'm even talking the next two months. Just not a believer. I say June. Long term. Yeah. June, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm I'm kind of right there with you, Jason. That being said, you ride it to the wheels fall. Right. I mean, uh, I guess you could try to sell high on him, but I, I don't think anybody's buying Eofaldi high necessarily. So uh, I'm uh, I, I love Eofaldi uh, from a straight skills perspective. I love the fact that uh, his ground ball rate is is up and has been trending up the last few seasons. Uh, so that maybe that tempers some of the home runs, but it'll start warming up in Boston and the balls will start flying, too. So there's definitely going to be some regression, but. I don't know Two that TJ you, surgeries and still throwing yeah. ninety eight to hundred. It's just oh. disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, the wheels will fall off, but like I just don't know that I, I don't know that you sell him right now. I think you just ride it until it falls off and then go get the next guy uh, off the waiver wire because you, you didn't pay very much for Evaldi this season. Um, all right, Tyler Molly, uh, one seventy four ERA, a thirty eight point eight percent strikeout rate uh, so far this year. 
Uh, he's been fantastic. He was my guy last year, uh, and he seems to be backing it up a little bit. Jason, are you a believer? I was a believer last year. I was right there with you taking him in a lot of places last year. Uh, but he's not doing anything different this year. Everything is still the same. The same pitch. Nothing's new. No new velocity. No new pitch. No new way, you know, not throwing first pitch, breaking balls for strikes. I mean, there's nothing new. To me, it just looks like matchup-based. He has Arizona twice, San Francisco, and St. Louis. And only one of those teams is a decent offense. And that is St. Louis, and St. Louis is the one team that puts some runs on. Yeah, you know, that's and to me. To me, it just feels matchup based right now. To get Arizona twice and to strike them out fifteen times in ten innings, that speaks to it. But you know, seven strikeouts in five innings because the Giants struck out nine Cardinals uh, in five innings. So the other issue there is he's still not getting deep in the games. Uh, but that's that's always been the issue with him because you'll you'll recall that he was one of the guys that was very vocal about how the David Bell would pull him out of games, not let him go deep into games. But the data said you were not a third time through the order guy. Uh, and, you know, five, four, five, and six. And he's had two decisions, one on each side of the ledger here. So that's the, the strikeouts are nice. The ERA has been nice so far, but he's got to get a little bit deeper into games. The, the pitch this well and have one win to show for it is unfortunate. Aaron, where are you at on Molly? You talked to Justin, you talked about gauging interest in Nathan Avaldi with your league mates. If I have Tyler Molly, this is like the absolute guy that I want to go out and try to try to move. He's 26. People might look at his stat line um, and not pay attention to um, who his opponents were, like Jason was mentioning, and you know, uh, buy into a 26 year old who might be coming into his own and becoming an ace uh, on the mound. I don't think he's that pitcher. Like Jason, you mentioned, he doesn't go deep enough into games for me. He, one one thing that um, Molly lovers will will tell you is that his velocity is up and it is up. It's 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 almost ninety five miles an hour average on the fastball. So you do like to see that. Um, but also he's only throwing four or five innings. So you know if he's got to go deeper into games, maybe that average. We look at average so often. Average miles per hour. Average this. Average that. Um, you know how hard is he throwing in the fifth, sixth, seventh inning if he ever pitches in the seventh inning this season is what's more important and so i think he is a definite sell high right now for sure how dare you guys besmirch my man sorry uh, justin i totally understand if you want to go sell high I, like i don't have a problem necessarily uh doing that i do believe in what he's doing the the, the fastball velocity is up um the ground ball rate is up tremendously uh as well back to about 42 percent uh, which is where his career norms were. He 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 had less of a ground ball tilt last year, uh, though I think that was more of a little bit of uh, small sampleness uh, with the sixty game season. Uh, doing a good job of uh, not allowing hard contact within the zone. I I really like Tyler Molly. I think that this is somewhat sustainable. Yes, he does not go deep into games. That's okay. Like he's he he's a guy that he's probably gonna go five, you know, innings, uh, but that's enough for a win. I mean, in quality start league, obviously, uh, that hurts you, but, um, you know, uh, you can, you probably try to sell high there, but I think in a regular wins, like I'm just going to keep rolling with this. Cause I love what, uh, Cincinnati does with their pitchers. Uh, I love what I see, uh, how the ball's moving out of his hands. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm staying on board. I'm not jumping off my, my, my boy, Tyler Molly. Hopefully it doesn't bark me. <laughs> uh, a guy that was everybody seemed to be on the bandwagon last year, uh, that uh, is uh, 
you know, and then disappointed was Matthew Boyd, right? He just, he was absolutely atrocious last season, really burned a lot of people, especially in the industry. Uh, shout out to all you Boyd boys. Um, but like, you know, one of the things I took him in my main event league or one of my main event leagues this year and on the live stream, I said, you know what? My ratios are really safe. What I really need here is strikeouts. So I was like, you know, maybe I'm not going to get the ratios I want, uh, but I'll get a ton of strikeouts. So what does Matthew Boyd do? He is posting a, uh, oh, it looks like a, a 182 ERA, uh, and he has a 16.7% strikeout rate this year. What the hell is going on here, Aaron? Uh, I'm probably a half of a boy, a step Boyd brother or something like that. Uh, I'm not quite, you know, Nick Pollock or Alex Fast, but uh, I do like me a little bit of Matthew Boyd. And when I did, when when you guys pointed out on the on the sheet that his K percentage was low, I was kind of confused because I've watched I've watched every one of his starts and I've seen him start off, and it seems like he's striking out everybody in the first time through the order. And so I, I broke it down by uh, trips through the lineup. First time through, 22% K rate. Second time through, 13%. Third time through, 14%. So obviously falling off. Boyd last year and even in his really good season in 2019 had trouble getting uh, deep into games. So I'm wondering if it's just something that he's changed uh, or maybe the organization has changed with him to try to get him to last deeper into games to pitch to more contact. Um, I mentioned Nick and Alex and, of course, CSW. Uh, and, and on Fangraphs, you can find the CSW percent as well. Um his CSW percent is surprisingly good, 30%. Now, uh, I think they may have invented this stat just for Matthew Boyd because his swinging strike percent is only 9%. So he's getting a, a ton of called strikes. So maybe there's a little bit of Detroit trying to get Boyd to go further into games by pitching to more contact. Also, on top of that, pair with the opposing batters just kind of laying off a pitch, whatever that is, if it's fastball, if it's curveball, something in the zone that they're just kind of spit on it, take the strike, and then we'll, you know, we'll get to the next pitch. So, uh, man, I want to, I want to look at the CSW and think if you're getting this many strikes, the strikeouts are going to come. I hope so. Let's just put it this way. I hope that the strikeouts come with, with all the new strikes or all the strikes that he's throwing. Jason, what are your thoughts on Boyd so far? Uh, you know, the funny thing, like on the positive side, if we have to, we try to stay positive, he's had four consecutive quality starts. Uh, and so that's fun. But when you look at who he's faced, Cleveland, Minnesota, Houston, Oakland, and Kansas City. If you look at team strikeout rate, Houston, lowest strikeout rate in baseball at 19%. Next oh. up, Kansas City, Kansas 22%. Then we have, then we have Oakland and Oakland is the, has the 11th best. Then you have Cleveland. So he had four of his five matchups have been teams that have better than league average contact ability. So like to me, as we talked about with Molly on the other side of this, I think Boyd is the other side of this equation where Boyd has had the tougher matchups for what he is able to do. And so I think there's going to be more coming uh, more out of him uh, in the future because the matchup should get better. He's not going to face Hopefully he doesn't face Houston. I mean, Houston offense is putting a hurting on teams right now. Just you know, I don't care who you are. Uh, Alex Cobb learned the hard way this week. You can come into the game with a bunch of swing and miss, but they don't swing and miss. Uh, and so I just honestly think this is matchup based. The other part of this equation, though, is you know Boyd throws his his two his primary two pitches aren't really swing and miss pitches. The changeup is where he gets a swing and miss, but he's throwing the fastball on the slider about seventy percent. 
percent of the time, and they both have below average whiff rates. But if he's going to throw them that often, the strikeouts are going to stay down. If he throws his change up more, then he could get some more strikeouts. So I would expect that strikeout rate to uh, rate rate to surge here in the coming weeks, simply because the matchups have to get better. When you look at the rest of the you know, too bad he can't face his own teammate, which is the second worst strikeout rate in baseball. But, you know, you have Texas at 29 percent, Baltimore at 27 percent, Seattle at 26, Tampa Bay at 26. You know, there's a lot of swing and miss uh, coming up on the schedule. Toronto is, is just below league average at 24. The Yankees at 24 as well. So that's what's coming. Uh, and so he should be in a better place because even when you look at it, the one game where he had strikeouts, Minnesota, that's the lowest strikeout rate uh, team he's faced so far. And they're, they're 18th in the league uh, in strikeout rate. So the one time he had that good matchup, he took advantage of it. And that's a team that's hurt him in the past, too. Uh, and they've had pretty much the same type of lineup uh, there. So let's see what what's coming for him. I'm not I'm not bailing. I mean, it's tough to bail on a guy just because you're not striking out guys if he's got four quality starts and against you know with Oakland and Houston in that run, I'm still on board. I'm a Boyd boy. I mean, here's the thing that Boyd has been doing, and I and I'm I'm not like complaining that I'm not getting the strikeouts from him because I do believe they're gonna come. Uh he's getting a lot of a lot of people to chase outside of the zone. Uh, now, that doesn't always mean swing and misses, right? Because his O contact percentage is almost 75%. But it's leading to a ton of soft contact, which is helping him get out of innings, which is great. I, I love to see it. Um, I think that this is... I think guys like Alex uh, Fast and Nick Pollock, who were so high on him last year, are suffering, are going to be suffering something uh, that I've suffered for for a long time, which is being one year too early on a guy. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that we give them a lot of credit cause they identified something coming into last season. Uh, it just didn't come to fruition probably because uh, of the short season itself. So, uh, hopefully people are, uh, are, you know, have some Boyd shares. Uh, but I think often people want to sell high on a guy like Matt Boyd right now. Um, and I think it's okay to try to go buy him right now. Cause I do think he's just going to get better. All right. We're going to finish out on a guy who has been struggling uh, so far this year. We've done most of these stat lines have been really, really good. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has not been good at all. His triple slash once his triple slash is 179, 213, 196. Uh, Jason, are you worried about Lourdes Gurriel Jr.'s start? Uh you know, I've, I've watched him this weekend because uh, he's been playing Tampa Bay. And I would I would say this to his credit. The struggles he's had at the plate have not affected him in the field. He's still playing a great left field. I mean, he's really one of the... Uh, Really, one of the better guys there. So I, I like I like him. I try to take a look at like where he he's really struggling against fastballs. Like last year, he, he hit two seventy five and slugged four fifty nine off fastballs, and this year one fifty six on both of those metrics. But then I went back and looked, and it said, okay, show me larger picture. And he has historically been a slow starter. And then the offense heats up. So I don't know if it's just a matter of him getting the timing down uh, type of thing. But historically, he's had very slow first 
few weeks of months to the season and then gets it going in May. Maybe he's the new Edwin Encarnacion. For those of us who would love, knew and loved Edwin, we knew April was just a wash. Just write it off and forget about it. But for whatever reason, the same kind of trend pops up in Guriel stats. So if, if you're a guy who has invested in Guriel uh, as much as I, I think he's on four of my rosters, uh, somebody that I aggressively targeted this year, and he's off to a slow start, I'm not bailing uh, because we know what, what he's what he's capable of. We saw it last year. We've seen it in flashes before. Um, and the lineup's just too good for him to bail on. I mean, I would say even he's not even on the roster, but I would also add Rowdy Tellez to this. Tellez has been hitting the ball. He had seven different batted ball events this week of over 100 miles an hour. Like, I know his numbers aren't really showing it, but Tellez is starting to heat up with the plate, too, uh, and starting to make that contact that we fell in love with. Hit 112-mile-an-hour double last night. Just absolute smoke shot. But he's starting to look better. So I'm not concerned about Gurriel. It just stinks that we have to own what he's done so far, but better days should be coming here in short order. Aaron, are you buying low right now on Lourdes? Absolutely. You guys talk about it. Um, when you see the raw numbers just aren't there, you want to go dig deeper and look at the peripheral stuff and see what he's doing. His K percentage right in line with his career norm. His fly ball percentage right in line with his career norm. Home run to fly ball percent, zero right now. Hasn't hit a homer yet. He's got a 239 BABIP early on in this season. There is a lot of luck coming Guriel's way. Get him back to his baseline 20% home run to fly ball. This is, like a, this is the most obvious buy low, I think, that's out there right now especially someone who doesn't have a huge track record. He's a little bit older than, you know, uh, than the most people would think a third or fourth year player would be in baseball. So I think you might be able to go out and actually get Guriel cheap. We talk about buy low all the time, but you need to have someone who's willing to part with, to part with a player like that. And uh, I think Guriel is a, a good target for sure. Yeah. I, I think what we're seeing here is a guy who's trying to swing his way out of things uh, and it just hasn't worked yet, but I do believe it will. I mean, he missed some a little bit of time, uh, because he got what I think he was exposed to someone with COVID. I don't uh-huh. think it uh, probably to Oscar who's been who continues to be out uh, with uh, on the COVID IL. Uh, and I think maybe that just kind of disrupted a little bit of his rhythm kind of early on to the season. I'm not super worried about Guriel. You guys mentioned a lot of the reasons why, so I won't kind of rehash all of it. But uh, definitely a guy that I think I would try to buy low on if you can. You know, maybe someone's going to go out there. and Because you go and look at his StatCast page, and it is ugly, right? And so someone might go, oh, maybe I just need to get off this sinking ship. Uh, and, and you could try to maybe, you know, get him as a throw-in in a different deal. So uh, I like Guriel. I'm not, I'm not ready to jump off board yet. All right, that is going to wrap us up for this episode. Aaron, thank you for joining us. Uh, remind everybody where you can reach on social media and then plug everything you do. First, thank you guys absolutely for having me on. It was a, it was a real honor. Um, a, a show I've listened to a million times. You know, 920 episodes. I probably listened to 500 of them. So uh, thank you so much for having me on. You guys can find me on Twitter at Fantasy Triage, T-R-I-A-G-E. Um, and find our podcast, Bullpen Games. You can find that anywhere podcasts are. We Every single Sunday, we put out a five-minute minicast giving you fab, um, fab ideas, fab percentages, our top fab bids on relievers so go out and get the fab in five podcast if, if you got five minutes on sunday before you're setting your uh setting your fab bids nate and i go through pretty quickly um and give you some suggestions but thanks again guys so much for having me on it was awesome definitely i'll definitely be uh checking out that podcast because i i got five minutes i don't know if i got an hour every sunday but i got five minutes for sure <laughs> jason remind uh everybody where you can reach on social media and then uh plug anything you got going on 
So uh, at Jason Collette on Twitter, uh, Collette Calls column on Rotowire comes out Wednesday or Thursday uh, this week. And um, honestly, don't have much else going on uh, project-wise. It has been, uh, you know, just looking at uh, watching, wanting to watch some more of these uh, other games and see what's happened. Looking very much looking forward to Padres and uh, Dodgers tonight. Uh, after after what happened last night, uh, I, I I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it. Are you gonna watch with one eye or two, Jason? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I just absolutely loved that kind of emotion uh, in in the game and, and that kind of celebration. The game needs more of that, um, like that and the whole Cole Calhoun and that kid. Uh, where the kid caught the foul ball, didn't even get up out of his seat. And I saw a story of Calhoun came over and said, hey, kid, you know you're going to be blown up on Twitter. And the kid was like, dude, I'm already blown up on TikTok. <laughs> it's like, there's your generation gap. <laughs> yeah, that, that gap came way quicker than I expected it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can reach me on Twitter, at Justin Mason, FWFB. I write daily over fan graphs and pretty close to daily over at Fantasy Alarm as well. You can hear me on this podcast, the TGFBI podcast, and the Friends of Fantasy Benefits podcast. That will do it for us. For Aaron, Jason, and myself, thank you for listening. Have a fantastic baseball season.